This is George Pittman. I'm a combat veteran, a former Green Beret, and U.S. Army intelligence officer. I'm a Christian, I'm an American, and I'm a patriot. This is Rick Pittman. I'm a former police officer, SWAT team sniper, and self-defense expert. I've trained law enforcement agencies across the state of Texas in the use of non-lethal force. I'm a Christian, I'm an American, and I'm a patriot. My brother George and I want to preserve this country in a way of life we all love. We are the Pitbull Patriots. This is Rick Pittman with my brother George Pittman, the Pitbull Patriots, with another episode of Pitbull Patriots. Tonight we have a pretty interesting uh, topic to talk about, George. I'm going to let you start off. You brought this to my attention uh, just the other day, and it's it's pretty astonishing what they were trying to do, what they were trying to get away with. So tell me about that. Well, what they've been doing since about 2006 is using taxpayer dollars to fund critical race theory training in the federal government. Uh, what this is, is it basically a view that the law and our legal institutions are inherently racist and constructed by white people to profit at the expense of minorities. So the white privilege and white fragility nonsense that you hear, this is what was being trained to federal employees on our dime. I just read today where President Trump pulled the plug on it, saying that it was in no way representative of the American people. In fact, it was anti-American in that it sought to lift one race over another at a time when racial tensions are, are high, higher than ever in this country and just about at a boiling point. He said, no way. And shut it down. Did you see that come across the wire? Yes, absolutely. And the timing was uh, was ironic because I had just done a Twitter thread on it the night before. And the first article I see when I get up is that President uh, Trump had done a, issued a directive to the director of the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, uh, to uh, effectively ban that type of training in the federal government. Now – when you were there and you worked in, near Washington or in Washington? Uh, it, it was near Washington. I was a, a contractor for the Veterans Administration. Right. Did you see any of this stuff? The The administrations you were under, uh, were you under George W. Bush uh, and um, Clinton before it, that? It, it While I was in the military, I uh, was under George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh Shortly after I got out, well, George H.W. Bush and Clinton, shortly after I got out is when uh, W. Bush came on. But while I was uh, a contractor, Hussein was elected and effectively defunded the vast majority of service-disabled, veteran-owned small businesses, which I was a part of. Well, let's talk about that because it's a very interesting point you brought up. Now, you refer to him as Hussein, which is his name. We're talking about Barack Hussein Obama, which is, of course, not his original name. His original name was Barry Satoro, and that's quite easy to document, to find the documents on that. But he changed his name at some point, and my question has always been, when did he change his name, and why did he change his name? No one's ever spoken about that. You can find everything about 
uh, Donald Trump from the time he was in a crib drinking a bottle and to where he is now because they, they turn it over with a microscope. But interestingly enough, Hussein came into office and he began to attempt to dismantle aspects, significant aspects of the military. You probably saw this, George, as you as you worked as a contractor in that industry. Did you see some of the uh, retirements that they were talking about that he he forced on the military? The, the reduction. I didn't actually witness it, but I did have contacts and still do. Uh, basically, what they what he wanted to do and effectively did it, it to some extent was uh, alter the command structure within certain. Um, units within our military and placed uh, people that were friendly to his point of view in certain positions. In other words, one easy way to do that within the military is promote someone that you know has a common view. Ah. So is it true what they say, because you you spent your uh, career in the military, mostly for the most part, that when they get to the upper levels of rank the generals of course it becomes a political thing and unless you're a politician you're not going to move up into those ranks well once once you get promoted uh beyond captain you're talking major i I, uh, left the military as a major congress is required uh to approve those promotions so the higher you go the more congressional um overview there is and it becomes uh in some cases highly political which should not happen because it's our u.s military it should be who is most qualified not who is aligned politically with your friends right and so hussein came in and you had a company that again briefly tell us what you did you served veterans didn't you well, what we did was we literally helped manage the database for the Veterans Administration that that covered eligibility and benefits for all veterans. Wow, that's it's a big it's a big task. So you know a little bit about database management. So you, do you think the NSA has any databases on us, George? <laughs> uh they've got more information than could have been stored on computers that we were aware of five years ago oh my word you must be kidding they've been collecting this and we when we say they capture everything or the the question is if they can capture anything why wouldn't they capture everything they have it it's it's it could be used in such a myriad of ways as ammunition in, in all kinds of scenarios on the American citizen. Let's just say, hypothetically, they wanted to target an individual. Now, I know they would never do anything like that, would they, George? But if they decided they wanted to target an individual, they could go back with this, a few keystrokes and pull up every time that individual had bought a big mac at mcdonald's and used his credit card they couldn't find out everywhere he goes or his patterns his his spending everything about that and they the only thing that kept them from being able to collect and store that was computer hard drive capacity 
at this time they have the hard drive capacity to to do that with the supercomputing so speak a little bit about that because i know you have some information on that subject well during the obama administration he had uh, a massive server built this server and the name of it escapes me off the top of my head i apologize but uh, it was given a name and people in our military and our government uh, specifically admiral rogers identified this as a threat to our liberty because uh, hussein's intent was to use this for the purpose which you earlier described imagine uh coming into an interview so to speak and being shown your direct or direct messages from social media uh your text messages any screenshots that you've taken over the past 10 years 15 years something like that uh it's it's all it's all there for them to grab um so imagine And and you mentioned general rogers he's one of the white hats he is really what was one of the catalysts for this entire Russia hoax collusion thing? Because he was blowing the whistle on some of these things. Did, didn't he, did I hear this correctly, that he approached Trump or the Trump people with some information about what they were trying to, going to, going to do to him, spying on him? Right. And that was, uh, the timing of that was when Trump actually tweeted that uh, he was being spied on or wiretapped. Uh, and, and he subsequently moved out of the location he was at and uh, believe he moved to uh, Trump Towers or, the, or down to Florida. That's right. He uh, did. And that but that came from Admiral Rogers, right? That information. That, that that's correct. That's and where it subsequently, uh, which it, the good news is, is that uh, when Trump was elected, he w- ordered the military to take control over this massive server. So ah. at least this one is now controlled by the White Hats or the good guys. Really? So See, we don't when, know that. when we say or when they say that they have it all, uh, they're not kidding. They're not, it's not a joke. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. They have it all. They've got everything about us. Boy, if that doesn't uh, cause you to wake up and say, what in the world is is going on with this well let's talk about critical race theory what where did it come from george where where do you think the origin of this came from 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 my research it started back in the 1960s and 1970s uh this is basically a marxist communist ideology uh and it is intended it is it is used to divide uh, a group of people so that you're fighting amongst yourselves. Uh, that's really the their entire goal is to divide. Well, that's what identity politics is. Mm-hmm. So think of it from the standpoint of a group that, that is claiming that other people are racist, which is projection. The projection being you accuse your enemies of that which you are guilty. Mm-hmm. So uh, just by virtue of the fact that your skin color is white, you are now, according to them, uh, either openly racist or secretly racist, simply because of your skin color. Uh, I mean, imagine that. Think of it like this. Uh, you have no control over your birth, but if we allow people to designate us uh, without 
fighting back verbally uh, or, or legally or whatever means, not violently, but but pushing back on this this nonsense, uh, then we are effectively in a, in a trap, which no matter what you say or do, just because simply because of your skin color, uh, you are now put in a certain group. Doesn't that sound familiar? Oh, doesn't it? You know, George, you and I grew up in the same part of the country, although we didn't know each other until I was 30 years old, and I think you were 24, uh, six years difference. We grew up in, I was in East Texas, and you were in uh, Louisiana, West Louisiana, Northwest, and I, I didn't experience racism like they talk about now we were in the deep south we were in that area and there were there was certainly there were overtones from the older people and it was it was both on the white and the black side the 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 black people were prejudiced and angry with the white people and didn't like the white people and some of the older white people didn't uh they came up through the jim crow thing that was not the case for us kids growing up I didn't understand racism. My friends weren't racists. There, there may have been one guy in the in the whole high school of you know eight hundred kids who might have been a redneck, and but I don't even remember that. I remember my best friend in junior high school was a black kid, a real smart kid, and we just we were best friends. We hung out constantly. We did everything together. So I grew up in that. Uh, kind of you know we were in an integrated school system we both grew up in in that kind of thing and when i went off into life george i never had any you know racist thoughts or things like that and to be honest with you in, in this day and age when this thing is blowing up with this critical race theory and all of that i don't know any people i'm an adult of course quite quite an adult now many decades of being an adult and I don't know people who are racists. I well, I, I, well, I, I think don't. Be- yeah, I think that's because we. But think of it from the standpoint of that racism. Racism, excuse me, uh, is just simply a form of hate. Yes. So it's a choice. So therefore, it has no correlation to pigment. And good right. people tend to associate with other good people. When you're around somebody that's hateful or negative all the time, it's draining. You don't want to be exposed to that. You want to be around positive, uplifting people. Uh, One thing from the military that helped me immensely uh, was even early in my career, you meet people from all different ethnicities and, and from many different foreign countries who are serving in active duty military capacity to serve this country hoping to, to earn, you know, their citizenship. Yes. Because this is still the best place to be. Yes. Um, but the, the key thing for me was that in the military, at least, uh, it didn't matter what color you were because we were all wearing the same color camouflage or whatever uniforms we were. Mm-hmm. It was performance. Uh, could you do the task? You know, could you accomplish the mission? Could you could you be counted on by your fellow soldiers? And then later in the military, uh, under a certain training, uh, I don't want to discuss too much, but we were asked by a, a it's a special ops training. We were asked by an instructor uh, to tell him how we identify ourselves. In other words, he simply said, "How do you identify yourself to other people?" 
Well, we weren't prepared to even answer the question. So there was a pause. And after about a half dozen people uh, described how they identified themselves either through uh, their their race or their religion or hyphenated uh, types of things, the, uh, the instructor said, you're all wrong. He goes, you're all Americans. Mm-hmm. He goes, what we have in common, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is far more important than our differences. And that stuck with me to this day. And even people that we don't see eye to eye with politically, as good people, we search for things that we can have a discussion about without getting heated or, you know, or whatever. It's just that we want to get along and find things that we have in common so we we can share things. That's exactly right, George. I was a as you said about the military, I was a police officer, and when you put that uniform on, you have black officers and white officers and Hispanic officers and Asian officers. And I'm telling you one thing, this this is a myth about police officers being racists. They're, when you're laying on the ground with a shotgun and you've got a guy who's got your back in a hostage situation and he's a black officer, he's your brother. He's literally saving your life, and you don't see anything but that blue uniform that you got on, that cop uniform. That's all you see. There's no racism, and I can speak to that because I lived in that world, and and know it. You know, once you're once you're part of it, you're it forever. Like you and your Green Beret training. That's the rest of your life. That's who you are. So this is something that the media and these communist insurgent groups have concocted and brought on are there people who who are racist i'm sure there are i just don't see them i do a kind of work that i'm out in the public constantly and i don't see any racism i don't see any segregation of black groups from white groups i do you know public entertainment and i i'm in in events all of the time and people get along we get along fine i don't know of anything so this this is a manufactured thing that they are stoked now let me say this it is true it is a fact there is a difference in cultures of people's background for instance i live in an area in central texas near austin texas and there's a where i live there's a huge czech population czechoslovakian people that that came here in the uh 1800s and big families farm families check there are check traditions everywhere they have check events check food everything's check you know but it's a cultural thing i grew up in in northeast texas and in my area when i was growing up and it was the 1960s and, and 70s early 70s there were no hispanic people I don't know why, but there just weren't Hispanic people. I never spent any time around Hispanic people until I was 18 years old and I left home and went on the road as a musician playing the guitar. And I ended up down in South Texas. Our agent sent us down there. George, that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to the Hispanic culture. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I didn't know, you know, the food, the everything about it uh the dancing the music was great so i understand different races have different cultures that they pref- 
prefer. But it's not something that causes you to hate them or hate what they do or what they represent. This is, again, giving it back to you. This is a manufactured thing that's not real. It may have been real in 1860 when we were trying to abolish slavery. It was a real thing. It's not that anymore. And I'm not I'm not saying that from any kind of white privilege. I'm, I'm just another guy, <laughs> you know, just like you, white, black, brown, purple, pink, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's not like we uh, demand a drug test before, uh, you know, or blood test rather to to determine, uh, let me see if I can be friends with you. You have to be this percentage of whatever. Yeah, right. uh, you look at the the biracial marriages. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, who cares? Who cares? If, if, if somebody, if two people love each other, you know, okay, that's fine. Uh, but it, it goes back to the point of racism and hate. Uh, when you think about it from the standpoint of what they're trying to do, part of it is a distraction. But the other part of it is projection because uh, a lot of people forget this, but the, the Ku Klux Klan mm-hmm. was formed by the Democrat Party. Yes, absolutely. The, they, they were the uh, brown shirts for the Democrat Party back from the Civil War, starting from this after the Civil War. And look at Antifa now. Look at Black Lives Matter. It's you know when, when you're a fascist group claiming to be an anti-fascist group that's the definition of projection <laughs> yes, yes. But when black lives matter uh, is a racist group look at their website uh they want to destroy the nuclear family mm-hmm. especially among their own kind and there seems to be a lot of caucasian people <laughs> in their ranks uh, committing violence during these uh these demonstrations mm-hmm. so it, it's it's it simply uh, doesn't pass the common sense test if you look at it logically it's exactly right and these protests the democrats the communists basically decided that this would be a great opportunity to give trump all kinds of grief and sidetrack him permanently the thing they didn't count on was when they began these so-called peace mostly peaceful protests i love cnn they say it's a a a fiery mostly peaceful protest (laughs) when they began their fiery mostly peaceful protests the thing they didn't count on was the organized criminals taking full advantage of it organized crime jumped in by i i mean gang members and they would know when there was a city that was going to have peaceful protests and they would load up in vans in gangs that's what they do they're criminals and they would go and break out the windows and loot and steal everything they could get their hands on well the people organizing these the summer of love in portland the mostly peaceful fiery protests they didn't count on that they thought they could just get these people screaming and cursing they didn't really count on the defund the police thing to start to take off because that has legs in american culture that every citizen can understand what that means it's not uh it's not some ethereal concept they understand that that means if they dial 911 there's a chance that the popos aren't going to show up that's what defund the police means and they right. they can they relate to that and it is backfiring big time on the democrats right now well i think 
there were a portion of people that didn't expect it. And you can call them whatever you want to in terms of uh, moderates or whatever. But the radical progressive faction who is now in control of the Democrat Party planned it. Mm -hmm. They orchestrated it. They facilitated it and they funded it. Uh, That's the command and control. How else are these people traveling to multiple states wearing the same clothing with the similar gear with training? I mean – these people are trained by other people. Right. Uh, they're in some cases from Venezuela, from other communist regimes, socialist regimes, uh, possibly with terrorist connections. You've got connections to the Islamic Brotherhood. Uh, there's a lot of different connections to these different groups, violent groups. And for instance, there was a, a video I saw the other day where they found an encampment, encampment of Antifa people. In uh, what looked like uh, almost like a, some type of United Nations tent city because the, all the tents were were <laughs> blue. There was almost identical, oh and they were lined up in like military fashion. There was oh order there. This was not a this was not a homeless camp, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And as the reporter approached this and identified it, uh, they were prepared for that eventuality, and uh, several different people started shooting at him with slingshots. Wow. So, so that's that's not something that you would see if you walked into a homeless camp of people that didn't like the rest of the, the world. No, thanks exactly. Project Veritas is an organization that does undercover filming. They began uh, years ago in the abortion industry, going and doing undercover sting operations, if you will. They did one on Antifa, and it, this was they they published their findings about a month ago but it wasn't well covered because here's what they found they said antifa was the hardest organization they had ever encountered to to penetrate it is an organized group they recruit they recruit from college campuses and you are sent to meetings training meetings where they train you how to use pepper spray how to conceal baseball bats how to start riots every kind of training literal self-defense training how to become violent and fight how to break a person's kneecaps and then the meeting place would never be publicized you would literally if you were accepted into the group and they would do extensive background checks on you project veritas was able to penetrate in and they they got one of their people inside when you're inside they text you the meeting place literally 20 minutes before it's never publicized where they're going to get together they know what they're doing that's how they stay clandestine and fly under the radar they are well funded you may or may not know that these antifa people fly to these different cities they don't load up in a vw bus and 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 drive they get flown they get airline tickets. Who's buying those tickets? How are they flying in and, and doing these things? It's all part of a very well-organized and well-funded effort by the people who have been working on this plan for the last 50 years, George. That's correct. What you're describing is compartmentalization. Uh, and we saw the same thing or similar things with certain terrorist organizations. So, 
people within the terrorist organization, they would divide it up into cells. And each cell uh, wouldn't actually know who was in charge of that right. cell, but they were given instructions from someone. So they, when you're trying to do a wire diagram, so to speak, of the organizational, organizational structure of these types of groups, it can be difficult. Uh, but uh, thanks to modern technology, it's much easier. Now, uh, even with a VPN, it's just a matter of time before they find, they, they track your IP address and everything else. So it's just a matter of how bad do they want to know the information and having somebody that gets into it, investigates it, and, and plots it all down. So I'm confident that they have the information. But when you look at it from the standpoint of why hasn't anything been done, uh, that's the big question. But we're only seeing uh, a small view from from our uh, window, from our perspective, on, on what is actually happening. Uh, just because we don't see everything that's happening doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm -hmm. uh, just the number of arrests in certain cities, uh, for instance, Portland, we're at uh, this weekend, we reached 100 days of violent demonstrations in Portland. Uh, how many arrests have been made since that time? How many, arrest, uh, how many people have been let go because the district attorney refuses to prosecute? Uh, in the District of Columbia, over, I believe it was the past, well, maybe three weeks or so, I believe they said 527 people have been arrested. But are you seeing that on on the front, you know, on news headlines? So yeah. they're, they're, it, it's easy to get the perception uh, and to believe that nothing is happening when in, in actuality there are things happen. We just don't actually know about it. And when is the command and control structure of, the, of these violent uh, organizations going to be taken down? Um, well... I guess that one question would be, what makes you think it hasn't? Uh, Just because they're continuing to go on doesn't mean that they haven't already taken those members out and replaced them with our own people. And I'm not saying uh, – I'm not claiming that has happened. Right. All I'm saying is right. that's quite that, that's possible. That would be the procedure they would seek, if if at all possible, to do that. And, and you – you come from a uh, military intelligence background, and I know you can't speak about many things or in detail, but with your knowledge, do you see parallels in how these organizations like Antifa, BLM, Black Lives Matter, are structured as when you looked at other terrorist groups and how they're, uh, they're put together, so to speak? You see those, those correlations in this, George. Does that, that raise some suspicion for you? Absolutely. It's if you look, it's not hard to find um, documentaries that talk to people who have been uh, military contractors for U.S. government, whose job was to go into a foreign country and um, use certain methods that were designed uh, to essentially weaken or overthrow that government without the use of conventional forces to invade. And if you look at ISIS, the Islamic State, um, some people don't realize this, but uh, do you know who, uh, who formed, who built and trained ISIS? Was it the CIA? It was Hussein. Oh, my goodness. So yes. Hussein directed the, the 
origin originate run and the he ordered it brennan carried it out and he had help through uh people like I mean, look at the pictures of John McCain meeting with people like al-Baghdadi mm -hmm. and the top people within ISIS. Mm -hmm. uh, so th that was created by our government uh, with the, at the direction of the former president of the United States mm -hmm. to, to do that. And now what, what the deep state has done is taken those same methods of how they destabilize other countries and has uh, – launched uh, asymmetrical warfare using those techniques on the American people. It's it's frightening, George. The, the, and I know you can talk about just a, a sliver of what basically you could speak of, but it just it wouldn't be legal for you to talk about that. But it should be frightening. The depth, the, po the technology, the things that they can do, and, and for, again, from my law enforcement background, I know the capabilities that we have that the, the public doesn't know what law enforcement military can actually do. The weapons we have, it, it's, um, it's protected information because we don't want the bad guys knowing. But if the public knew, and I, I only know a little of it, uh, they've kept a lot of it, and it's, it's really increased since I've been out of law enforcement but they can come to your house with sonic weapons and they can hit you out. They can sit outside in a van and hit you through a wall and cause you to have a seizure. <laughs> Just you talk about putting a hit on someone. They've got that capability, George, you know. Well, like I said, I, I, I can't discuss. Yeah, and uh, I don't want you to. You're my right. brother. I don't want to come see you in Leavenworth. <laughs> but, but just to give you an example of, uh, you know, different types of, of technology, uh, think about uh, social media platforms yes. like your, your Facebook, your Twitter, Instagram, etc. Uh, they don't have the ability to read MEMS. Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of people communicate and, and a lot of them are, are actually pretty funny, uh, but they, they communicate through MEMS in order to prevent. So what's a MEM? So what, what is mem, a MEM? It's basically it's a picture that someone has taken and they either modify it or they put text on it. To, to make a certain point, mm -hmm. whether it be, uh, some, you know, to, to point out something stupid, like uh, the stupidity, like, you know, if masks really worked, uh, they would have banned them just like they did hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, the things but, you see uh, on Facebook, those are memes sometimes, those little right, memes. Right, yeah. but, uh, you know, so they don't have the capability to, to read those through their, uh, their algorithms. The NSA can. Ah. So that's just a that's just a small example of of, of technology. Yeah, it's it's scary what's really out there. I tell you, we get on these programs and the time literally flies by, and and we've only talked about a portion of what I had on my list and you too. But we're, we'll do a lot more of these, and there are a lot more episodes to come. This is Rick Pittman along with my brother George Pittman, and we are the Pitbull Patriots. Pit and you can find us on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can go to our website, pitbullpatriots.com, and subscribe to our podcast and be looking for new episodes. We will be doing these frequently because there's a lot of stuff that we have to say. God bless you, brother, and God bless everybody out there listening. God bless America. <laughs>